Welcome to The Spawn Chunks, episode number 225, recording slightly earlier on Thursday, December 15th, 2022, since we are publishing this over the holiday break on Monday, December 26th. We thought we would step in and record this one a little bit earlier to give our routine a break. My name is Johnny, but the internet knows me as Pixorifs, and joining me as always is a slightly later, but perhaps earlier, Joel Duggan. Hi, Joel. Hi, I'm going to say warmer too, just to rub it in a little bit. Uh, <laughs> no, my boiler. Uh, if you want to hear a little bit more in the saga of Pixel Rift's boiler, uh, as well as a little bit about travel, uh, plans for travel, dreams about travel, and cycling, then you should check out the Render Distance. It's the extended version of the podcast. We did it for this episode too. So if you're a patron, you can get access to that. You can become a patron at patreon.com slash the spun chunks. That's how we make the show. Uh, you folks help us do it and then you get extra content. That's how that rolls. Uh, the first episode of 2023, since this is the last episode you'll be listening to in 2022, will be published and recorded live back again on Monday, January 2nd. So fresh out of the new year, we'll be back uh, out of the gate on the 2nd of January to uh, give you more content. Nice. And uh, yeah, if, if you want to make it your New Year's resolution to support your local podcast, we will be forever thankful, assuming we are local and it's the internet. So everything is local. Speaking of the internet, you've been streaming a bit more from the Citadel this week, Joel. What's new? I have. I've been trying to ramp things up a little bit uh, just because it is the holidays and I know that some people are around and or on vacation. Uh, and I have been um, really feeling a, a nice groove on the Citadel. And uh, I started working on the adjacent house to the West River build that I've been showing off the last couple weeks on stream or on, on the show. And uh, for me, this was something that came together a lot quicker because, of course, all of the block palette has been selected. It's a different scale and it's a different size and different layout. But, you know, the bottom is brick. The foundation or basement is cobble. The the second or the main floor is mud brick. And then you've got the spruce roof with like some different stuff inside of it. And so it all came together pretty quickly. The one thing I wanted to do uh, was change up the roof. I didn't want to do another gradient roof because one, it's not very big. So you can't do a much of a gradient with like three or four blocks. And I decided to do all dark oak. But when I added the kitchen area to the other build, uh, I just kind of happened into something that was kind of a cool look, which was to gradually have a peak kind of running up the, the pitch of the roof, I guess you want to say. So along the bottom row of, we'll use air quotes, shingles that I made with dark oak, I added uh, trapdoors and slabs. But as those trapdoors and slabs get higher, they get narrower. So it creates like a, a sort of like a, a roundness to, to that side. It's the kind of thing that you could achieve at a much larger scale with geometry but in in this scale you kind of just have to use like the sub blocks to do it mm -hmm. and yeah. uh, i think quite successful it, it it helped the roof uh not be just another dark oak roof which i have quite a few of in the area so yeah um so that's been fun it was fun to mess around with that and i've been doing a lot of layering like taking something like a spruce wood block which is around the same color as dark oak but obviously it's a bark block and then putting a dark oak sign over top of that and so it still looks like the same plank texture, but it has a different top and bottom to it. Mm -hmm. And it tends to go very well, but then it doesn't look like you've used the exact same block over the entire roof. So that's been fun. Yeah, having some like layered siding like that always feels like it's, if not missing from Minecraft, then at least something you have to push your creativity a little bit more to simulate. And yeah, I think that's that's looking good. It's uh, It's definitely blending in nicely with the area. You've got a lot of... The, like you said, the same kind of wood roofs pop up a lot, but you've managed to get enough variation in there that they don't feel boring or they don't feel like they were all constructed in exactly the same way by exactly the same architect or they're, they're kind of like prefab Ikea, you know, yeah. <laughs> I, Ikea yeah, yeah. identikit kind of houses out there. Well, thanks, man. Like, I, I need to go back and revisit a couple things. And I got a really nice compliment actually the other day on stream. Someone that listens to the show and was their first time coming into the stream. And they were just so impressed by how every time you look around, everything looks framed, everything kind of reveals in layers. And that's not by accident. So the fact that people are picking up on that, something I'm very much doing on purpose. And it also helps when you have a bunch of these roofs that are very similar to have things like trees in between them. Yeah. So even if you have two dark oak roofs that are right next to each other, if you've got a tree that's growing up in between them, you're going to see the tree either overlapping or you know, kind of coming in between those roofs as you walk down the street. So they don't look like one big brown blob. And and I find that my 
my tip of like trying to not cut down any trees, if at all possible, has really benefited. And and I, I do have to move some trees. There's some trees that are like right up against this house. But that's a matter of like moving the trunk maybe at the bottom out a little bit and then pushing the leaves a little bit. I try not to cut the whole thing down. I kind of like smudge it. You know, I kind of push the tree out of the way as opposed to like clear cutting the area because then you, you're stuck with like, well, what do I put in this area that's a problem rather than building around a tree as most people would probably do in real life. Like, I mean, depending on what was needed, um, I'm sure that there'd be some constructions in, in these kind of medieval towns where they wouldn't have cut down all the trees. I mean, they would mm -hmm. have cut down some, but you know, there's privacy, there's shade, there's all these different advantages that, that having a tree um, gives. And in a Minecraft build, it also makes it look older. Like it makes it, even if it was a baby tree when the, the place was built, it's not a baby tree anymore. Yeah. And I think that that helps a great deal. The roots are well established at this point. Uh, it's funny, during our render distance discussion when we were talking about European travel, the first place that came to my mind was um, the walled city of Carcassonne in the south of France. Mm -hmm. And I've I, I looked up a couple of like images on Wikipedia for it, and it bears a remarkable similarity to West Hill at this point. Oh, really? Um, wow. Yeah, like you should check check it out. It's got like a wall all the way around the outside. It's built on a hill. It's like a hill, a fortified kind of hilltop uh, since like ancient times, really, like since like the times of the Romans and and before. But um, yeah, it's got like a, a church up there, a kind of I don't know if that would be classed as a cathedral. I'm not sure if it's the right sort of size. Um, but then yeah, the sort of inner walls encircle a bunch of houses, and there's clearly a bunch of different types of houses there. And then obviously the city itself has now expanded well beyond the borders of that hill fort. But I think it's a a really cool case study in how to build a contained walled medieval looking town like that so i am well, looking at it right now and um i have definitely nipped a couple of images from carcassonne in my mm. pinterest board i didn't know what it was at the time and i don't think i've seen the big overhead shot but now that i'm looking at the big overhead shot wow like i can 100 percent see what you mean yeah yeah um, it doesn't have the river going through it obviously for elevation no, reasons but, but still uh, yeah yeah that's very very cool so what have you been up to in Minecraft uh, in the last couple of days? I almost said this week, but yes. Um, by the time uh, by the time this episode goes out, it may no longer be the case. But for the moment, I am on Hermitcraft, uh, and the uh, the current project has been finishing up David 5.0 underneath Azuma's base. It is now fully complete. It is aging copper as we speak. Hopefully, if Azuma's taking good care of it, which I'm pretty sure it is, uh, which I'm pretty sure he is, it's tremendous like I'm, I'm so happy that we were able to pull it off in the time that i've had to do this because he was able to provide basically all of the components for me so all of the slime and redstone and wood and um like the cobblestone and stone for all of the redstone components we really got from digging that space out to begin with um but yeah like I, I had to craft a bunch of the components and the only things we really had to buy was a little bit more iron a bit of terracotta for like laying down some of the floor areas of it and for the um the kind of copper placing stations and then honey blocks which we got from um from hypno who has a, a honey farm and has had for a while so there's yeah a, a ton of work went into it which was um a kind of joint effort between myself and Azuma, but I placed most of the stuff according to the schematic I'd put down. It ages 468 copper blocks all at once, and that's just under one-third of a shulker box. So if he does three goes through it, he'll basically have, like, three stacks missing from the shulker box that wouldn't be fully oxidized yet. But everything else is, is good to go. And I am thrilled, both that I got to contribute something to a season of Hermitcraft, which obviously I've been watching for the recap for a while and have obviously had like a fun chance to collaborate with with people on this server. Um but I'm also thrilled that it's gonna be something that people will use frequently. Like Azuma's planning on making a shop out of selling oxidized terracotta so that people can build with it at whatever stage they want. And I reminded him that part of that is going to be uh, you know, having a decent supply of honeycomb available so that people can wax the copper once it gets to that stage. And now, like, having built this entire giant project, that's now inspiring future projects for Azuma and, uh, you know, future projects that hopefully other people on the server will get involved in. So it's been a blast to work on. And 
I'm now starting some other fun projects with other hermits, which by the time this episode goes out have probably already happened as far as the videos are concerned. But yeah, we got other other bits and pieces to do uh, before the Empire's head on home. So really, really excited to see that pay off. I, I watched this earlier today and uh, that that David construction is mad. Mm. Like just in the watching the long time lapse of you putting it together uh, was really interesting to kind of get a a breakdown of the layers because you kind of did everything all at once. Like it was the all the stripped warp wood and then all the, you know, different parts that as you get higher and higher, you added the different layers rather than building one module each time it was going through and doing a portion of each module across all of the modules. And that was one of the things about doing it this way was that previously I've had to build it module by module for a variety right. of reasons. First of all, like the amount of components I had available to me at the time as was mm -hmm. a, a major one. Also, not knowing how large I wanted to build them and kind of freestyling it as I went. And then also not having Lightmatica involved. And so Lightmatica has made this process even easier, allows me to build things from the ground up and you know know that measurements are going to always be precise and that i can always follow the blueprint that i've got but also it gives you a material list so i actually have a numerical list of how many of each of the components i needed which i'm excited to read some of in a second because the numbers themselves are quite interesting but also um yeah being able to work layer by layer like that and be guaranteed that i wasn't missing anything as i went because of how robust the system is with letting you know when you've placed a block in the wrong place. Like, it'll even let you know if it's in the wrong block state, if you needed to add a couple of ticks to a repeater that you missed or something like that. It will it will let you know when you need to do stuff like that. So I think it's... it's Shout out to Massity for a fantastic mod. I know it's based on uh, Schematica uh, previously, but Lightmatica is such a useful mod for large-scale projects like this. Oh, man, yeah. I mean, even just watching, the, you know, that happen in the time lapse and, and seeing the demonstration of it, I think you and X were talking and saying what's going to happen in the next, you know, a couple of clips as you're looking at the, the Lightmatica schematic. Uh, very, very handy. And I don't know whether you noticed this or not, but in watching the time lapse, I was looking at all of the redstone torches that were going down. And because of the time lapse, the animation of the redstone torch was um, sped up. Yeah. And I thought, oh, wow, that's really cool. I didn't realize that they sparked. And then I, my brain goes, oh, they don't. It's just that it's the animation cycle of a redstone torch that's yeah. set up. And I immediately thought, that's a much better way for redstone torches to act. Like I would rather them spark or even have like a little Tesla coil arc that kind of came off of them, off mm -hmm. the top of them, rather than just like the, the flame that they have now. Um, that would be very, very cool and might even be worth implementing in a texture pack because like it really wouldn't affect much. Like it's not like people really build that off and, and decorate with redstone torches. They're mostly used for, for tech stuff. And I just like the idea of it having this little zap, you know, that kind of comes off of it. Little electronic, you know, little lightning bolts or red static that kind of comes off of them. But um, watching it in action was, was really cool too. Uh, I have not had the best luck with flying machines on the Citadel. So uh, when it comes to big machines that have flying machines, I tip my hat to you with that many. Mm -hmm. uh, and hopefully they, they behave as designed for are, the foreseeable future. There are 26 flying machines in the entire thing. It is 13 modules of 18 copper blocks being aged on each side. So it's, yeah, it's a, it's a lot. Um, it involved having uh, 1,430 redstone torches. And that's not even counting the ones I had to craft that went into comparators and repeaters because comparators take three redstone torches each and repeaters take two um, plus redstone dust with there was over 4500 redstone dust in this thing um there were 1400 observers there were 936 droppers 988 sticky pistons like tons of slime and honey and all of that kind of stuff so it, it was a mammoth effort I think we ended up crafting about 2,100 wooden shovels because they're the items that one of them sticks in the furnace to give it a high enough comparator readout that it can disable another part of the circuit until it's ready. And the other four wooden shovels for each of the droppers are to count how many stages the copper has aged. And oh, there's there's so many, so many uh, items and bits and pieces that go into it, but... Yeah, it all turned out remarkably well, and I'm I'm really happy Azuma wanted to pursue this project. He he kind of fell in love with the machine the way I have, which is is very good. So, yeah, overall really fun project to work on, and I'm looking forward to seeing what happens to it next. 
before we get into the email, do you have any plans for Minecraft over the holidays? Or are you taking a, a break from both podcasting and, and making videos? I'm going to be away from home for a few days, like the best part of a week, so I won't be doing any Minecraft in that time. I don't like to travel with Minecraft as much, uh, because mm -hmm. laptop play is not my favorite. I don't have a uh, an ideal, like, I don't have a wireless mouse to bring with me, so I didn't want to just oh, unplug wow. my yeah. mouse and, and bring it with me with a, with a laptop. I don't like playing trackpad Minecraft all that much. Uh, my usual tradition over the holidays is to uh, restart a Stardew Valley playthrough if I've got my laptop with me. But I'm also playing the new Pokemon game, so I'm probably going to bring a Nintendo Switch with me and play Pokemon Scarlet. There you go. Um, yeah. So as for the remainder of, like, over New Year and whatnot, I'll probably get back into Minecraft once I'm home. Um, really just planning stuff for the new year. I want to do a full... Uh, creative mode tutorial and explanation of the David copper aging device and, and how it works so that more people can have a place to go if they want to learn more about that. And then in the new year, I'm bringing back survival guides. So I think a lot of planning is going to happen for me. But as far as like casual Minecraft gameplay, I'm happy to give it a rest for a week and then come back with fresh eyes in the new year. How about you? I'm probably going to be adding more streams over the holidays. I'm not traveling. Uh, I'm looking to um, take some time off from podcasting. So I'll be recording extra. We're not in really extra, but I'll be recording a big episode of uh, the Citadel Cafe next week with uh, the roundtable, uh, the holiday special we do every year. Uh, and then um, once I'm ready for, for Christmas, I don't know, the week leading up to Christmas, I might not get that many streams in. It depends on how much I get done. I can see it being one of those things because it's like this nice balance between, yes, it's work, but it's also sitting and relaxing and playing Minecraft. Mm -hmm. um, but I feel like for me, I've got such a, a groove right now with West Hill and things are progressing so well. It's really hard to ignore that because I've definitely remembered times that we spoke about in the last few weeks where I've had sticking points on the project and I'm not under the illusion that I'm going to be able to finish it before the end of the year, but yeah. there's a chance I might be able to have all structures in place and just maybe like interior details and landscaping and exterior farms outside the city would be what's left. Um, but right now, um, I, like I said, I'm just, I'm enjoying it and I've, I'm going to have the time because I'm not traveling. There's some family rearranging stuff happening in terms of visitations and when that's all going down here in the city, um, because we've got, you know, in-laws and all that kind of stuff, uh, and people are in different places. So, um, it may not be as much, uh, happening over Christmas or if it is, it's just going to be a couple of days. Uh, and then, like you said, then there's that big week between Christmas and New Year's. And that's probably well where I will end up with a couple of extra streams just to kind of get get some more time in. And like I said, lean into the creativity. It's it's one of those feelings I have learned as an artist, you know, when a, as that career kind of took off was like when you're feeling that creative, like you should just lean into it because there are days and weeks sometimes when you don't feel that creative. And by taking advantage of that kind of vibe, you can kind of make up for that that last time when you're feeling kind of grouchy <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely De definitely take advantage of it if you can and uh folks listening can look forward to a couple more streams from joel uh in the meantime we're going to move on and the news this week is obviously going to be pretty thin on the ground by the time this episode comes out we expect mojang to be taking time off over christmas and new year if they have not started doing so at the time of this recording uh so we are saving the news uh, as it is for us uh for the previous episode so you've probably already heard that why am i telling you this because we're moving on to chunk mail uh chunk mail dispenser is going to be kind of the the whole theme of this episode and uh as always if you'd like to email the show uh get some email read in the new year the email address is spawnchunkmail at gmail.com and joel is going to kick us off with our first email of this episode Coming in from Quinn L, the subject is food, something we all like to talk about over the holidays. Hello, I was listening to one of your older podcast episodes where you were discussing how Mojang could fix food. For the longest time, I've been trying to think of how Mojang could add possible buffs to food to give an incentive to players to farm and craft them, but I struggle with balancing it. While listening to your episode, I was thinking of Ark Survival Evolved and their food system of food spoiling. What if Mojang added a simplified food spoiling system to Minecraft? Perhaps certain foods could last certain lengths of Minecraft day cycles. Maybe unstackable food items have no spoil timer. Cake placed in the world may also have no spoil timer. Maybe when food items get rotten, they have a new purpose. Maybe it's a combination of spoil timers and buffs for eating 
certain foods. I have no idea how hard this would be to implement or even possible, but I feel it could give a new and needed balance to food. Curious about your thoughts. Quinn died while choking on a golden carrot. <laughs> oh no. Shots yeah, fired. Yeah, golden carrots feel like they should be much less edible than they actually are in game <laughs> but this i guess the same is true of golden apples as well i assume it's just gold leaf um yeah the, there's a lot to be said for rebalancing food in minecraft it's a subject that comes up quite frequently for me talking about it on streams and stuff and i think without wanting to cannibalize too much of our discussion around this i think people often come at this from a survival point of view. They think of Minecraft as a survival game first and foremost, and that's when comparisons to Ark and, you know, the the other survival games which will have food going off over time uh, start to creep in. And I think Minecraft is more of a sandbox than folks tend to give it credit for. And I think the thing mm -hmm. about it being a sandbox is that you don't want food to spoil so much because then you're constantly having to get food from somewhere and you know your your food is constantly being rendered unusable and that becomes more of a chore to keep up with than it does a freeing thing that lets you enjoy the sandbox elements of Minecraft so generally speaking i'm against the idea of a a, a food spoiling system what i do like about this suggestion is the idea of certain foods not having a spoil timer which maybe rebalances food in favor of stuff like cake that you can place in the world and i also like the idea of when food items are rotting them taking on some kind of new purpose because a lot of people get frustrated right now with rotten flesh not really doing much aside from trading it to villagers and maybe being able to feed it to wolves because they don't suffer from hunger the way the player does when they eat it but having foods that rot and create other things is kind of an interesting concept. I couldn't think of a whole lot that we could use rotten food for. I mean, my real world examples in my brain were just like compost and feeding pigs, but we already have mechanics for both of those <laughs> sure. in the yes. game. So like yes. it kind of became, did, didn't work as a video game argument, but it worked in real life. Um, we have a data pack on the Citadel that allows us to smelt rotten flesh into leather just because, you know, it saves you from killing a lot of cows, which is not always, I mean, depending on the player, it's not always the best experience um, in, in the game. And I, I feel like having some little things like that would be good. I like the idea of repurposing food to not just be just like a single editable item. So, for example, uh, I don't remember the name of the mod, but it was in one of the fabric, um, all of fabric packs. And I really enjoyed the bit of cooking and crafting that happens in the extended food mods. You know, uh, they're often too complicated, one might say, because people think, oh, I'm going to fix this problem with all of the solutions. And it's not necessary. It doesn't feel very Minecrafty because it feels, again, like you said, more survival or even more RP than it does, than it needs to be. Like, why am I making hamburgers, which involve so many different ingredients when really I can still just walk around and eat barbecue chicken just fine, right? Um, because in Minecraft, you don't have to consume any like mix of nutrients. There's, you're, there's not even a thirst meter, you know, in Minecraft, it's just hunger. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, uh, I do, I did enjoy the crafting aspect of it though. And for me, I like the idea of combining different foods as incentive from a decoration standpoint. So like if I make a hamburger, I want to be able to put the ham hamburger down on the table and have it look like the size of a, like a, a player head like that sure. kind of idea yeah, yeah. because it opens up it, it doesn't have to be a ton of stuff but it, it would open up some really cool decorative ideas because you it's a hard sell for me having like a flat pixel hamburger on or not even a hamburger a flat pixel pork chop you know on a on a or maybe a pork chop's not a good example because that's kind of a flat food anyway but an apple say an apple you put an apple in, a, in an item frame and lay it down flat on the table it's a flat apple it looks like a playing card it doesn't look like an apple mm -hmm. and i would love for apples to be something that you could see and walk around in 3d and, and i think that could you know really improve things um, but that doesn't really take into the um to consideration the the spoiling aspect of it and i mean like we've already got rotten potatoes and I, I'm just, I don't know, other than like brewing something, you know, like we've got suspicious stew, maybe something in the brewing stand with, you know, it feels like, you know, 
oil and trouble boil and bubble like some sort of like witching brew where you got like rotten carrots and and fish eyes and like you just kind of combine into something unique but like i i don't know that we need more potions in, in minecraft because as you said like it leans more sandbox and it does any kind of survival uh situation so like i couldn't see myself going through the trouble of making potions that have rotten food because i i don't know that they would be able to provide anything that the game doesn't already provide in a much easier faster linear way and i think that's the real battle for this idea is that if you're adding and not taking away to the food system in minecraft and things like golden carrots still exist people are just going to go straight for the golden carrots in general yeah. Yeah, you know, there but, will be the select few that are going to enjoy the RP of like making a hamburger. But like if it doesn't have any kind of decorative or other function, then it's it's going to be a hard sell. Yeah, it starts to feel bloated at this point. And I think the food mm -hmm. system kind of already is. The only real major addition that's come to food for a little while has been Suspicious Stew giving you potion effects. I think that's one of the more interesting changes that's happened recently. But Stew isn't stackable. And I think part of the fun of it is in imagining giving suspicious stew to a player who doesn't know what the ingredient is and it's just like a fun way to prank somebody but there aren't really many cases in which you need the four seconds of night vision or speed or whatever it is that it gives you saturation is the exception to that because a suspicious stew with saturation can fill your saturation up with the potion effect version of that in a better way than some of the other actual foodstuffs can because you can fill the saturation up before you even fill up your hunger bar so i think there's there's a lot to be said for that i think honey bottles were an interesting one honey bottles are food but they also cure poison but that's the only status effect they cure so it's not like drinking a bucket of milk there are a few like hints at some some cool ideas there but they don't want to expand it into the other end of the scale the stardew valley food system where foods restore a certain amount of your energy or health but on top of that the more complex foods have status buffs that they give you for a, a longer duration like five minutes worth of you know extra fishing capability or whatever like the, there's so many things like that and i think one way you could tie this in would be using a mechanic that's sort of fallen by the wayside since 1.9 i think when it was introduced they introduced a potion of luck and it never made it into the game proper, but the idea was that now loot tables were a more common thing. You could um, you could drink a luck potion and the loot table for a chest would contain potentially more desirable items in it. It would increase the chances of having certain things. And so imagining that if you've eaten a golden apple recently, then your chances of finding golden items in a chest become you know right. become greater or something like that i like the idea of food having perhaps more subtle influence on the environment around you because it's going to be very quick for players to start gaming the system if you make some of that stuff more obvious but it also runs the risk of unbalancing a lot of the other gameplay and i think that's where we're most likely to see any kind of revision for food is when we see a revision of combat and maybe the amount that having saturation regenerates a player's health is going to change and so like i think along with combat food is going to need a rebalance to make sure that players aren't just going to starve super easily or something like that yeah i think the the consumption and and pvp aspect of it is something that i overlook a lot because i like i, do, I don't partake so um i can see that being a thing I, I i'm surprised that we didn't get something more fun with the addition of things like glowberries like just something silly like it's not even a, a luck or a, or a looting situation just like make the player glow for yeah. 30 seconds after you yes. eat one it's similar to um oh, what's it called the chorus fruit you know like you just kind of randomly zip for like six blocks or something mm -hmm. and and i think that that's like not useful at all but it's fun you know and i think that there could be a little bit more with that that doesn't really balance food but it could create more incentive to harvest different kinds of food. So maybe a glowberry isn't the best example, but if we use a different kind of crop and again, it doesn't have to be a real world crop. Like it could be, it could be something completely made up. You know, um, there's all kinds of different things that are in the nether now, different sprouts and, and fungus and stuff 
And like, you know, eating some of those could create some really weird effects. You know, if we ever <laughs> do get an end update down the road, then having new things in the end, maybe the end is where all the weird stuff is, right? Like that's where all the food that does like fun, but not useful, you know, sort of things. Like beetroot, uh, be beetroot's already there. <laughs> it can have, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, the, uh, imagining something from the end that gets you like levitation stew out of it would be, would be quite funny. And uh, you can imagine players using that to get around their bases as well. Like, I find that shulkers aren't always all that good at, you know, player transport. Like, if you move a shulker to the overworld and use it as an elevator, it still ends up kind of slow. But what if you can enhance the effect by turning chorus fruit into a stew or something like that? I think you you could do a lot with that. Yeah, absolutely. Let's move on to our second email. This one comes in from Big Hippopotamus with a coincidental subject of poisonous potatoes. Hi, Pix and Joel, wishing you both a happy new year. Not yet, a little early, but, you know, we're recording this even earlier, so who are we to talk? Something that we know is coming in the 1.20 update is the new Sniffer mob. One of the things that's previously come up on the show is breeding the Sniffers instead of hatching new eggs every time. I thought, what if we took an existing plant that is useless, poisonous potatoes, and made that the breeding food for sniffers. This could be a good use for potatoes and give people an incentive to have manual, i.e. non-villager powered, potato farms. There are other food items such as beetroot or glistering melon that don't have any other good uses right now. Interested to hear your thoughts. Big Hippo fed his horse a glistering melon and rode away on it with speed. <laughs> nice. I I mean, I like the idea of having um, the sniffers be breedable because if if it's something that we have to go and get an egg, wait for the egg to hatch. And if you want more than one of these sniffers because you want more than one of the flowers at a decent rate that they're going to um, look for, or plants, I shouldn't say flowers, but the, the decorative plants that they're going to find, I think you're going to want more than one sniffer. And I think being able to breed them would still mean you'd have to go and find two. And then you'd have to wait for however long the breeding takes. And then you'd have to wait for however long it takes them to find the prehistoric plant or the ancient plant. I I don't think that you're going to be ramping up quickly, uh, but it's the same thing with like finding your first three sugarcane. Like you start with three and then you get nine and like it and so on and so on. And I think that that's a decent pace. Like it doesn't make it instant and accessible uh, to have all the flowers you're ever going to need. Or, or ancient plants that you're ever going to need, but it keeps it kind of like at at a pace. I don't know about the poisonous potato. Uh, I kind of wonder, and I would imagine with anything that Mojang adds with something like the sniffer, that if you're going to breed it, maybe one of the ancient plants that it finds is what you need to breed it. You know, like I think it's going to be gated that way. Mm, yeah. Because um, it, it would seem more of like a closed loop. As much as I enjoy when they take an older block or item that's been around forever and they they move that into a new mechanic that's great but at the same time i kind of feel like for those old mystical creature who's to say in terms of the minecraft lore that potatoes were even a thing back when they were alive right <laughs> right so yeah. so a poisonous potato potatoes in general might be just like absolutely awful for the sniffer like who who knows they hadn't discovered north america at that point where potatoes are natively uh, grown yeah there <laughs> this, you go this is a joke that works from my perspective but perhaps not yours um <laughs> i i like the idea of poisonous potatoes being breeding food for sniffers but when you said existing plant that is useless my brain immediately went to ferns I thought ferns could be a really nice food for the sniffer, almost like you're feeding it a lettuce or something like that, like it's herbivorous, but it doesn't have to involve the poisonous potato thing. Like, I, I do like the idea of incentivizing manual potato farms. That's kind of a fun thing to do with it. But as we've noted before, the poisonous potato is the item that reminds the developers not everything has to have a use. It is okay for useless kind of joke items to be in the game. Don't feel as much pressure to make everything fundamentally mechanical. And I like it staying that way, so I do like the idea of using something like ferns, especially considering they don't really have many uses, they're not in crafting recipes, they are purely decorative, but can be farmed relatively easily. So there's still potential there for a reuse and a respect for an existing feature and it being given a new use plus i imagine ferns might even have more reason to be ancient plants than potatoes might be so there's there's certainly room for other items like that and as big hippo says there are 
other food items that don't have a whole lot of uses right now. I like the idea of glistering melon being in there, considering we're eating golden carrots, but we can't eat glistering melon, it's just a potion effect. What's up with that? And beetroot, I honestly don't imagine people wanting to use beetroot all that much, um, but again, incentivizing people with the sniffer doesn't seem like a bad idea to me. I think that's that's pretty solid. I do still think the sniffers should be breedable because otherwise we end up with the LA problem where, you know, if somebody comes along and kills all your sniffers, you're not going to be able to get more of them if they're a unique mob that you can only find the eggs somewhere. So I do think we're going to be able to breed them. It's really just a matter of how. And not to completely dismiss Quinn's idea from the previous email, uh, the sniffer looks an awful lot like a big hippo pig-like mob that would probably eat kind of anything. So... I could see if there was ever some sort of spoiling food, maybe not poisonous potatoes, but if there was a lot of like junk or something that you wouldn't think at all would be food for the sniffer, maybe that's what you feed it. You know, like uh, maybe, I mean, not that we have like old boots in, in Minecraft, but if we did, like it would be very funny if like, what the sniffer really wants for food is like shoe leather. <laughs> you know, like that was the quirky, the quirky ancient thing. Like it just, it ate anything and everything i'm trying to think of a i'm remembering like an example of this i guess the tasmanian devil from warner brothers cartoons is like that just kind of eats everything right here's a fun idea what if the sniffer eats compost right <laughs> so i i think the idea being obviously composters have what is it like seven layers that they build up to before they start to produce bone meal right and yep. you probably wouldn't want a sniffer just like scarfing all of that down and if it you know a, a, a mischievous server mate could sneak a sniffer into your bone meal farm and you're like wait a second what's that snorf snorf sound and why am i not getting any bone meal turns out the sniffer's just there chowing down on all of the compost that you can make but it also potentially adds in some fun redstone mechanics whereby now we have a variable signal if you read off a uh, comparator from a composter you can fill it up using the you know hopper feeding in whatever compostable ingredients but then you release the sniffer to have it come back down again if you want to like level out the redstone signal somehow i i feel like that could be a fun idea i'm not sure how that works into the breeding mechanic of things if you just like let them loose near some composters and they chow down on their own but i, I do like the idea of compost being part of it and the, the rotting food somehow being appealing to them yeah, it has it for for whatever reason. I think it's because they have like that mossy back to them. Mm, they kind yeah, of yeah. look like the, they look like the kind of animal that would just kind of eat the kind of things that are on the ground that most other animals would just pass by, right? Yes, yeah. I, I imagine you, you you bringing them up being kind of like hippo pig like. I imagine them eating out of mm -hmm. a trough of some kind. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. So that's something to consider. We still don't know much about the way the sniffer is going to behave in game. We just know the concepts of it so far. So. Really excited to see what the new year brings for the sniffer. Staying with uh, update 1.20 stuff, uh, Rose19 wrote in about chiseled bookshelves in strongholds. Hi, Johnny and Joel. One of my favorite new features of update 1.20 is the chiseled bookshelves. I wondered how they could be applied to generated structures, such as in stronghold libraries. Instead of having loot stored in chests, perhaps it would lead to a more immersive experience if among regular bookshelves there were enchanted and regular books, which would be stored in chiseled bookshelves. I wonder if loot in other areas of the game could also be stored differently for a more immersive experience. I always love listening to your discussions. Rin was killed by a silverfish because her nose was stuck in a book inside of a stronghold. I must have missed the Rin Rose 19 trade-off, but uh, <laughs> Rin slash Rose 19. Thank you very much for the email. I love this idea. I like the idea of instead of there being those chests in the corners, you pull down the books off the shelf and you're reading them to find out what they are and then you inevitably find out that it's an efficiency two book and you put it back <laughs> but no i think that's that's such a cool idea would obviously involve revisiting the stronghold structure a little bit and 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 throwing in some of those chiseled bookshelves and then generating them with contents but like yeah i i like that a lot i think as rin says i think it makes for a very immersive experience and I think, if anything, makes the player pay more attention to their surroundings, you know, instead of the stronghold feeling so samey every time. Like, you have to use some of your powers of observation to be like, where are the chiseled bookshelves in here and how do I get hold of the right books from them? I think that's a cool idea. 
Yeah, I, I think it's a great idea for strongholds. And especially because you can craft chiseled bookshelves long before you're more than likely going to be able to get books in the game. Uh, you can craft book like chiseled bookshelves almost immediately. Uh, and I, I think that having the contents and rewards in a stronghold would be very, very cool. Uh, I'm wondering if you could put more than just books in a chiseled bookshelf. Like what if apples, like if you wanted to find a golden apple in a stronghold, if that was on a bookshelf, what about potions? That's in line with what's already on bookshelves and enchanted books. Like maybe having potions lined up on a bookshelf would be cool. Maybe flowers. Uh, that's a little bit trickier, but I feel like the potions and apples and things like that, like having the ability to put those things into a chisel bookshelf doesn't or wouldn't affect the redstone output because it's just one slot for one slot. Uh, it would greatly increase the decorative ability of having like a couple of books, an apple, you know, a couple of potions. Like you could make a really cool looking, you know, wizard shop with all kinds of uh, back and forth there. And this led me to uh, like the next part of, of Rin's email, which is like, what other things would you like to see in the world loot wise delivered slightly differently? And I thought of things like uh, tool racks for picks, pickaxes, shovels, swords. So instead of just being in chests, if there was a tool rack, then one, that would be a fun way to get them. It would look like it would make more sense where the, the tool rack would be on the wall of the abandoned mine. But then that would then double if you can pick up the tool rack and bring it home and decorate with it, then that's cool. Um, we, are, we have been given a place for players to have a little bit more RP and store their books and bookshelves should they desire. Having something like a tool rack to hold your pickaxes or your bows, or your swords or whatever it is that you don't want to carry around all the time would be kind of cool. Uh, I've always liked the idea of seeing storage in barrels where the food or whatever is in the barrel is seen from the outside. Sort of like a structural change, like having a barrel full of apples with the lid off so you can see that there's apples inside of it. Mm -hmm. um, doesn't always fly for barrels that might be on their side but like hey you know what <laughs> like it's minecraft and there's floating blocks so like you can't have everything um i also like the idea of something like the heart of the sea instead of being found in a chest if it was part of the ruined structure like if you could find it and had to pick it off the structure similar to how eyes of ender are in the portal frames you know yeah, like if, the, yeah. if the heart of the sea was in like a special block uh, and you had to walk up to it and pick it up, like you had to spot it too. Like it wasn't just like right in front of you in a chest. You had to like look to see if the structure had the right block. Does it have a heart of the sea in it? Like that kind of stuff could be could be really interesting. Um, the next example I had was um, gold from like a piglin bastion. This gets into like, like a little bit more of a wishful thinking, but like having gold from a piglin bastion be in the shape of like a little pig statue that you could either mine up and take with you and use to decorate or melt it down and use it for gold. Um, it's a little, it's a little golem like, like it's a little like the, the, the tough golem that they were talking about. So like, I mm -hmm. don't, I don't know how like too similar it would be, but like, I feel like there's some interesting ideas that you could take just taking stuff out of chests and just tweak it just a little bit so that you still get the same loot. It doesn't really change the balance of the game, but the delivery method is different, you know? You want to have the uh, the gold golem added to the get the golden added to the game. The golden. <laughs> I mean, Piggle and Bastion seem like a good place to do it. They already get mad for you taking their individual gold blocks. What if one of those was like, yeah, sculpted yeah. into a sort of statue? I'm I'm now imagining somebody doing like the Indiana Jones like idol switch with like yeah. a totem of undying or something, and just like swapping <laughs> it out and leaving it there. That'd be kind of fun. But yeah, well, like th I, I there's another example right there, the totem. Like I mean, you just get a totem yeah. like in a chest, right? Like we, how how could they deliver the totem in a meaningful, different, adventurous way? Uh, aside from killing evokers, you mean? Yeah, I I like. Sorry. I I th I think there's there's a lot that they can do with more immersive interactable stuff and the chisel bookshelf is just a really good proof of concept for that right now so i wonder if this does maybe if, if it's a really popular feature kickstarts a trend of making storage more immersive in that way of having specific items for specific types of storage and we already saw it with the diversification of villager workstations they added what was it like 14 or 13 or 14 different workstations and each of them has a different type of purpose and they segmented crafting into a lot of different 
ways, right? Like you ended up with map crafting being more dynamic on the cartography table. You end up with the stone cutter adding to the the ability to carve stone and, and the one-to-one stairs recipe, which everybody loves. And, you know, the smithing table having new uses with netherite. And I wonder if like a similar overhaul could happen with storage where storage becomes if not necessarily to solve the inventory situation it's not necessarily a shift away from storing bulk items in chests but it's specialized storage for different things that just allows for a more immersive experience for storage in general i like that idea and i'm hoping that that's a uh, an approach that they consider in future especially if chisel bookshelves take off yeah, I think it would add. I don't want to say it would. It not, I don't want to say it would be less boring, but like I feel like there would be a lot more variety and a lot more. I'll say unique uses, just because once you add something like that into the game, when you realize the the number of people that play Minecraft and the number of, number of very smart people that play Minecraft, I feel like you'd see a lot of really cool uses for it from both a technical standpoint and a um a decorative standpoint if you've got different storage solutions for different blocks and then players could then choose right then you're not forcing people to use chisel bookshelves if you want to just store your books in a chest like you have for the last 10 years then you yeah. can do that too you know yeah yeah definitely i I, th- I think there's a lot of options for things just being made more dynamic than everything just being stashed in a chest and i think there's a lot of different directions it can go Let's uh, let's move on to email number four. This one comes in from Guns and Chips, who is a landscape artist member of our Discord. And the subject for this one is detail and scale. Hi, Johnny and Joel. I just finished listening to the Spawn Chunks episode 223 and really enjoyed the discussion around having multiple projects sparked by Gundar H. Striker's email. It got me thinking about a balance. I'm often trying to Gundar H. Strike in my Minecraft builds. The balance between detail and scale. I like to put a lot of detail into my builds, but it means that building at any scale larger than the house takes a very long time. Whereas I see mega builds fall at the other end of that spectrum, like Iskel85's Omega Tree and Cubfan135's Giant Pyramid, or Pix's Great Bridge on Empires. Not that these builds aren't detailed, but they're certainly not on the datapack boosted level of detail in, say, Joel's West Hill on the Citadel. I was wondering how you both go about striking this balance whilst trying to prevent projects from taking a lifetime to finish. Thanks. Guns and Chips was killed by phantoms after deliberating for days over the perfect roof block. Joel, I think you can relate. (laughs) I can indeed. Yeah, I can relate to both the roof block and uh, projects taking forever and when to kind of step away. And I think for me, West Hill... And for really what I think is most of the Citadel is built on the player scale or at least the player feel. So with West Hill, it's very much like a, a Minecraft door is the size of a door. I don't try to make anything too big. Um, I, I'm not making these grand halls. My roofs are not 10 or 15 blocks tall unless the structure inside has got three floors, that kind of idea. Um, and because of that, it does limit the amount of detail that you can put on something, which can be very frustrating sometimes because you don't have the block space to do the things that you might want to do in your mind creatively, but then you're forced into this smaller kind of hole. It does also make things look a little bit chunkier. So you have to kind of make peace with that look. Um, but then when you get into having that balance of, of data pack fueled detail, in one way, I'm kind of glad that the armor stand data pack that we use is kind of tedious to use because after I put one or two loaves of bread on a table, I'm done because I no longer want to do that. I don't find it fun. It looks great. But if you said, Joel, we want you to line up 15 loaves of bread on the shelf. I was like, mm, I'm going to find a different way to make that work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I just don't, I'll find a way to not do that because that it's not as, as it looks cool in the end for like little accents. And I think part of it is the decision on the Citadel to be specifically with Westell to be vanilla-esque as best as I can. So it's the kind of thing I just mentioned where I really would like a hamburger that I could place on a plate and have it look like a hamburger. I would love to have mugs or dishes or things like that. I would love to have the ability of a loaf of bread to look more like um, an oversized button that you might see in minecraft like have geometry to it so it's fine if it's blocky it's minecraft i expect everything to be blocky you don't need it to be like super fine pixel art 
but I think it would be nice to have that kind of loaf of bread be a placeable item because it would just add the level of detail and immersion that I'm looking for. Um, the big thing for me in terms of scale, a lot of it comes to design. So if you've got a big, big piece of design like the Great Pyramid that uh, Cubfan135 did in Hermitcraft last season, then it can look just like one giant kind of swash of single block color. But depending on what your goals are, like that's what the pyramids look like in Egypt. Like, they, yes, they've got like pieces of stuff that have eroded and they've got a little bit of different texture here and there. But in the grand scheme of things in Minecraft, like they're not different colors as you go up. They, they generally are the same sort of sandy color. Um, for me, I would find a way to try and change that from a design perspective. Like even if it's big and chunky, that's a lesson that I've learned from playing Satisfactory is that by adding big chunky details of depth to a big chunky build, you don't necessarily have to get in there with like computer screens and signs and like all these little intricate wires. You can just make a very big like 16 meter by four meter chunk change in your wall. And it creates a world of difference in terms of how that reads at scale from a distance. And I think that the distance at which you see something and the height at which you see something as a player in Minecraft plays in a lot too. I don't put a lot of details in my roofs because very often they're 15 blocks away from the player. So you can't really see the detail details anyway. I remember trying to get the top ridge line of a roof just right, only to fly down to the street and see how it looks and go, oh, I can't see it at all because I'm too low and thought, okay, well, that's a lesson learned. I no longer have to put the same amount of time and effort into these roof ridges that I, I thought I did. Um, the only time you'd have to consider it is like maybe the roofs that are closest to a very high point, like a tower or a wall, where you can see the top of them because you're up high enough. So I think that perspective is the other thing that you have to fold into the uh, scale and detail is, is like how far away are you from it? Is it meant to be something that you're supposed to be up close to all the time? Uh, or is it something that you're meant to kind of walk through? Um, thinking like something like the Mines of Moria, if you were to build that in Minecraft, are you going to be all the way up at the ceiling looking at the crowns of those pillars? Probably not. You're, you're meant to see this cool detail-esque idea of the top of a pillar deep in the black fog of the ceiling of the room, but that's it. You don't need to spend all your time on that top part. Now the bottom part right next to the player, you're probably going to want to put some detail and thought in those, right? So I think prioritizing, you know, based on the player perspective is probably the, the best way to balance it. But I'm sure g given you are the architect behind the great bridge that you've also got some thoughts on this too. Yeah. I think the thing about the bridge is that it's really too distinct segments there is the bridge platform itself and then there are the pillars and each of the pillars is identical each one of those is built exactly the same and copied and pasted using lightmatica again and even without lightmatica i would want to be building them pretty much the same and there might be some variation in terms of where the mud blocks do some of the texturing and and like leaf blocks to decorate with and that kind of thing and there probably is some very small variation in that just from what i was able to place in human fallibility but i think a lot of it comes down to finding a pattern you can repeat the same is true of the bridge platform because that is done with a little bit of measurement just to make sure that there were different sections of the side that lined up between the two pillars that is done by the same measure of repeated patterns it's you know little sections of like five blocks of wall that make it look like it's inset by half a block here and there and like larger panels of that further down and then the platform itself the bit that you're actually walking across the bridge is basically just a kind of diamond pattern of andesite and mossy stone brick kind of repeating over and over again with little bits and pieces of that pattern missing as though it's been worn down into natural stone texture by people traveling it over the years and that's really all the detail the bridge platform itself has and it's just a small variety of blocks and it really subscribes to what i think of as the working smarter not harder school of building where you are getting materials that you either amass in large quantities naturally throughout gameplay or are very easy to get hold of in large quantities like natural stone for example because that's something that can be very easily strip mined using a haste two beacon and a an efficiency and silk touch pickaxe you can get tons of stone in a very short amount of time 
Compare that to if I wanted to build this bridge out of concrete. That's going to be a very different process because I have to convert all of the concrete from powder. The powder is something I have to craft from gravel and sand. The gravel can be got from piglin bartering. The sand all basically has to be farmed manually. So there's a very different consideration when it comes to large-scale city-building projects that are going to use a lot of concrete and a lot of those solid color blocks versus the kind of thing that my ancient build style on empires is going to provide a lot of those blocks naturally through gameplay just because i'm going around looking for resources i'm going to be getting stone and deep slate and that kind of stuff all of the time i'm going to be running into those as i play so i think that's part of where i can do stuff like that and cup fans pyramid it's a pyramid shape made out of sandstone it's going to be a pretty straightforward thing to build it's just going to take a while because you have to grind to get that level of sandstone you're carving away entire sections of the desert you're probably converting a lot of the sand into sandstone and then you're getting the sandstone from underneath the sand to begin with iskel's tree is one of those examples where i don't take on large organic projects like that very often because even though the blocks themselves are likely to be fairly easy to acquire in large quantities so you have a tree farm you can probably get all of the oak wood that you want then the shape becomes part of the problem the shapes are much more organic you're typically hand crafting that over a long period of time and it starts to wear down because you're starting to like drain your creativity by returning to that every time having to do something different and it only adding one small piece of the same puzzle it's like adding one piece of the jigsaw every time you visit it and it's a thousand piece jigsaw it it, it never feels like it ends so unless you're somebody who has the stomach for those longer projects i think try and build if you're building larger in a way that allows for more economy of your time that allows you to work smarter and that is more likely to fit into your gameplay style as it currently exists i think that's probably the, the the way to work on that level of scale you'll notice that most of the stuff i've done since then has been nowhere near as large or if it's been large it's been the kind of thing that i can work on gradually like i've got a storage system now but that's been dug out over the space of a little a, a few separate weeks worth of streams and even then that's also a redstone project because i'm fitting in storage modules and a water stream that feeds into them all and block swappers so i can see what they do and that goes back to gundar h strikers thing where we're splitting that up into a variety of other smaller tasks so that when i get done working the aesthetics and the details of stuff i can go back to the redstone stuff and give my brain a bit of a, a bit of a break from the creative artistic side that is building you can also employ tricks uh and work in stages so a good example for that would be, you know, say you're working on a big build. Let's use something like Mumbo Jumbo's big bases that that he's been doing for the last few seasons of Hermitcraft. Uh, when you're working on something that large, you end up seeing a lot of repeated patterns. But what you see in those stages in, in the build is that there's like the frame gets put in and then all the same blocks get put in. And then, you know, he'll go back and add like sea lanterns as he needs to light it or whatever. And I find that when I'm building big walls or whatever in, in West Hill, um, I tend to go through and and do the entire thing as just a symbol structure. So like uh, take the the recent tower from the mansion that I did. I did the whole thing in stone and, and at first, and then I did an andesite pass. And then I started adding little stone bricks and I only added enough detail to the point where I was starting to feel satisfied with it. But the whole thing was built from top to bottom structurally from very very early on and i think as you're walking around and building near these things you'll you'll start to realize where things need detail and where they don't and i think that that can help you rather than getting into a corner and drawing like all the detail it's it's a, a good analogy is is uh, watching someone that's a, a professional artist draw and they'll draw layers of sketch and gesture and then they'll start adding in the details like the eyes the nose teeth smile expression but usually overall head to toe, the gesture and the posture of the character is done first, almost like a stick figure in a sketch. Usually it's called like an under sketch. And so you can do that with Minecraft too. Um, you can just kind of like lay in the foundations, um, work at, at the scale that you're comfortable with, and then put in the big spruce roof. And if you realize, wait a minute, I've walked this by this a hundred times. I don't think I've really noticed even that it has a roof. So maybe you don't need to spend the next four to seven hours detailing the roof. 
uh, I guess it depends on what your comfort level is. It's definitely an exercise of walking away. I'm a perfectionist and I definitely have to, I get caught into the details and I definitely have to say like, no one is going to see this. I need to <laughs> move on to something else, especially if I start to get frustrated and it's not happening the way that I want it to. And it's like, okay, this is like the basement of one house in all of West Hill. And I'm finicking over like a stack of laundry next to a wash basin that no one outside of the seven people in the stream right now are even going to notice. Yeah. So like that, that kind of thing is a, is a good way to walk away. The other thing is, is um, that I've been employing is doing things like the implied detail. Uh, I have a lot of spruce trees that are in this taiga section of West Hill. And I want to say two, maybe three of them are custom trees. The rest of them are just vanilla trees. But when you walk by, it looks like a bunch of custom trees because the ones that are closest to you have all the trunk detail and the twirling roots and they look custom. But then the six trees behind it, all you can really see is the top of them. And your brain just kind of goes, that's a bunch of really cool looking trees when really <laughs> it's only one. Mm -hmm. And you'll see that in paintings all the time. If you look at like impressionist paintings or uh, paintings from around like even the early 19th century, you'll see like a really detailed tree up front. And the rest of them are brush smudges, literally. But your brain just kind of like smishes them all together. And what you see is a forest full of beautiful, you know, very natural looking trees when really there's only one that you can see. The rest of them are just kind of like an impression of them. Yeah. And uh, I know two of the examples in this email came from Hermitcraft, but the Hermitcraft philosophy is you don't need to do the back all of the time. <laughs> and, that, <laughs> and, that, and that is because it, a lot of that is made for video, right? But if you cut that out the video element, you're still thinking about what the player's perspective is. And like you were saying, a lot of the time, if you're walking around the front of the build all of the time and you're not going to see the back, you don't have to complete it. I don't have any screenshots to hand, but I wanted to share an example from my Empire's builds where... After you leave the Great Bridge, you go through the gates and you're walking towards my empire. On the right-hand side so far, there are a couple of the large stone blocks that I dug out of the hillside, which are decorated to look like houses. The front half of those, incredibly detailed at this point. Like, I swapped out every stone block for something else. It's got a lot of different stuff. There's diorite and calcite and warped wood and glazed terracotta and then the roof is all copper and everything i got the roof all done and added some windows further up around the sides on the faces that you can see haven't touched the backs of those at all and the only reason for that is because i'm fairly confident nobody's ever going to walk around the back there unless they're doing it to spite me to prove that i haven't done the backs of those because they're not houses that you can walk into the the doors are kind of bricked up i kind of took the idea from again elden ring from the amount of environments in video games that you can't walk into every single house because that's an absurd level of detail it would take far too long for them to you know spend all of that time on something that the majority of players are never really going to bother with and that's kind of the approach i took with these of like players are just going to walk straight up this road they're going to see these buildings to either side understand that they can't go in and not really bother to walk around the back to see is this still detailed on the back and who knows if i have the time i might go and continue the details around the other sides but i'm not likely to put nearly as much effort into those as i am the front of the builds because i'm pretty confident nobody's going to go there so you can save time and again work smarter if you feel like you're only going to be looking at the build from one perspective and if you feel like you don't have any way to control that figure out ways to control that build something big behind it that nobody's going to want to walk around there to or yeah cover it up with trees or whatever else you happen to have to hand i think you can you can do a lot to conceal the lack of detail in something by layering it with other things which are slightly easier for you to build oh i don't move the trees in detail behind them and put them back like if there's a tree in front of a wall the behind that tree it's just a wall it's whatever mm -hmm. single block is behind there right yeah only every once in a while you might throw in one or two different blocks just to suggest that there might be a different texture there but 100 I, I agree I, the other thing you can do with the, the no backs of builds i mean not to use yet another hermitcraft example but scars build this season on on the server is the um the the theme park and he's turned the no backs to the build as part of the build yeah. it's the mainstream usa disney you know facade and then everything on top is this flat boring industrial kind of like um air conditioning pipes and industrial stuff and then his practical minecraft storage is like behind everything because yeah. they're not meant to be full details in the round much like the 
parks are not always full detailed in the round. And yeah. I just I thought that's a great example of how to how to do it. Right? As as he would say, at the front in the main street is where the magic happens, and around the back in, inside is where the magic is created. And that's really mm-hmm. all you need to know. You just paper over that stuff. Uh, we have one more email, but we are going to save that one for the render distance to help celebrate our patron community and also keep this episode nice and brief because we don't want to take up too much of your festive time. That's where we're going to wrap up this episode of the Spawn Chunks. Thank you so much for listening, folks. It's been a fantastic 2022 here's to 2023 and our next episode will be back with you early in the new year in the meantime you can find more information about the show and links to some of the stuff that we've talked about today at thespawnchunks.com the music for the show was composed by me and the spawn chunks is proud to be a listener supported podcast if you get some value out of the show why not consider putting some value back in you can do that at patreon.com slash the spawn chunks to join our community where pledging at any level will get you an invite to our patrons only discord chat you can ring in the new year with your fellow patrons and participate in things like our upcoming live show recordings the monthly minecraft audio hangouts which we'll be picking up again in january and all sorts of other things besides we're currently at 332 patrons which is up to from the last episode we recorded which was episode 223 hopefully you're keeping up Uh, in fact the patron count last year in december was 302 so we are growing year on year and that's always a delight to see Special thanks go out to our content engineers, Hunter555, Jumbo Sale, and Yitz. Thank you so much for your support on this episode and throughout this year. Sharing the podcast with your friends is the easiest way to support the show. You can find us at The Spawn Chunks on Twitter and Instagram. Personal recommendations are by far the best way to share the podcast. Just tell a friend about The Spawn Chunks and that they can listen on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and YouTube. Be sure to leave a rating and a review on your favorite platform. You can contact the show at spawnchunkmail at gmail.com. Please use that email address. The RSS feed is linked on the spawnchunks.com and the patron-only RSS feed is on the Patreon page where you can listen to the render distance, the extended version of the podcast. My name is Johnny, but online I go by Pixorifs. You can find most of what I do at youtube.com slash Pixorifs, where Empire's SMP is currently ongoing, and you check out some more stuff in the new year coming soon. I also stream three days a week on Twitch, doing behind-the-scenes work for my YouTube series, and I'm the voice of the unofficial Hermitcraft recap, which you can find through a quick YouTube search. Aside from that, I'm at Pixorifs on both Twitter and Instagram. Joel, where can people find you online? It is all over at joelduggan.com with links to social media, links to the Citadel Cafe podcast where I chat with friends about sci-fi and fantasy entertainment. You can also follow me at Joel Duggan on social media and Joel Duggan on Twitch where I stream at least three days a week. Uh, Fridays are Lego, weekends are Minecraft, and uh, as I mentioned at the top of the show, some extra holiday stuff happening. So check that out at uh, Joel Duggan on Twitch. Thanks for visiting the Spawn Chunks. The world outside is infinite and it all fits in our mailbox.